Amen, brothers and sisters. Uh, please remain standing and turn to the sermon scripture. Uh, you'll find it tonight, uh, once again, in 1 Timothy. Uh, we come tonight now to chapter 5, and we'll read uh, the first two verses of chapter 5. First uh, Timothy 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. Let us give our careful attention now to God's holy, inerrant word. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, uh, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Let us pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have your word, that you are the God who has spoken, that by your grace we are people of the book who cherish this word above all. Speak now by your Holy Spirit. Save and sanctify your people. Make us holy. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Back during the communist uh, regime in Russia, a joke was going around about Boris the Russian, uh, who arrived at the pearly gates and was welcomed uh, there by St. Peter. Showing, showing him around, Peter said, you can go anywhere you wish except for the pink clouds. Why can't I go there, uh, Boris asked. Uh, because, uh, Peter replied, the pink clouds are for those who did something great. But I have done something great, uh, Boris protested. Uh, I made a speech at the Kremlin confronting the government and the corrupt leaders. Really, said Peter, when did this happen? And Boris looked at St. Peter, about two minutes ago. Some of you are a little slow. I need to wake up tonight. <laughs> the moral of the story, confronting sin, while necessary at times, doesn't always work. Though we are commanded in the word of God to do it, sometimes you have to pay the price. But we don't do it because it is easy, but because we love God and we love others. And part of our loving God and loving others is this ministry of correction, which Paul, the apostle, amazingly and wisely places in the context of the family. This passage is both fascinating and convicting to me personally. It is convicting because I know that on more than one occasion in my life, 
and that includes in my adulthood, and that includes somewhat recently, I have failed to heed Paul's instructions. And it is fascinating both because of how true to life it is and because of how Paul instructs Timothy to deal with each of these situations and individuals in that he tells them to deal with them as if they were a respected member of his own family. As a father or a mother or a brother or a sister. In some, he is giving instructions and guidelines on how to treat every other individual with honor and respect. And I want to tell the young people, especially, though of course I want to tell all of you, but I really want to impress it upon the young people, that if you will carefully study what Paul says here, if you will cherish this teaching, if you will put it into practice, you will quite literally change the course of your life and you will set yourself up for wonderful success and happiness. Do not rebuke an older man, verse 1. The verb Paul uses here comes from the word to hit or to strike. It has an intensifying prefix added to it so that it properly means to strike in a vulnerable place or to strike someone with sharp, insensitive words. It is therefore perhaps best translated, do not address an older man harshly, but exhort him or encourage him. The word is parakaleo. You've heard this one. Appeal to him. Comfort him as a father. John Calvin has written beautifully at this place, quote, It is impossible not to be moved with reverence when we place before our eyes our father or our mother. What Paul is saying to Timothy, beloved, is if there is a situation in the congregation where you, Timothy, a young pastor, must confront or address a concern with an older member, with an older man, do not do it harshly. Do not unnecessarily upbraid him. See your own father sitting there and speak to him and treat him as you would your own father with gentleness and kindness, with honor and respect. Timothy would need to do that to see his father and his mother in these older saints in the congregation in Ephesus. Now, beloved, note well, it doesn't mean that they could never be confronted about sin. They're not spared from that. They don't sin with impunity, if you will. But when they are warned, respect must be paid to their age. They must be dealt with in a spirit of moderation. Now, you may have noticed there's no new verb in the rest of the verse and a half. So we must carry over the thoughts of that first 
uh, part into the other relations. So speak to or deal with younger men, your relative peers in the congregation, as brothers. Older women, deal with them and treat them as mothers. And younger women, well, you deal with them as sisters. And notice what he adds then with all or complete purity. Wisdom tells us, beloved, that there is a way to deal with every situation and with each individual, whether an older man or an older woman, a younger man or a younger woman. A time may come when Timothy has to confront or rebuke an older man in the congregation, and there is a certain way he must do that, or a younger man or an older woman or a younger woman. There is a certain way with a younger woman, Paul adds, that he must address her and treat her with total and absolute purity. But older men are to be treated with the respect and deference that they deserve. One should not speak harshly to an older man as one might speak to a foolish, wayward child. Younger men should be dealt with as though they were brothers. Older women should be given the same respect that we would show our own mother. And Timothy, a young man himself, should relate to the younger women as if they were his own sisters. The point here, of course, is that the relationship should be one that avoids improper sexual connotations and that every relationship should manifest honor and respect. Remember what we know, that Timothy was a younger man. We remember that from chapter 4, verse 12. He was a young man, perhaps still a teenager, though there's no reason to think that they used that terminology in the ancient world, when he became a companion of the Apostle Paul. And he was still a relatively young man when he became the pastor of the church in the great ancient city of Ephesus. Paul was keenly aware of Timothy's youth and the potential pitfalls that it created for his ministry. And he advises him, therefore, on how he ought to relate as a younger man to the various people he would encourage or encounter in the Ephesian church. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women. And so he must rebuke when necessary in a manner appropriate to the difference in ages. He must be mindful that there is such a thing, that there has always been such a thing, as a generation gap. There is a certain way that you behave. There's a certain way that you speak to those older than you. And the knowledge of that fact should govern his life, even as a pastor, in the way he interacts with those older than them. Now, I suppose that these verses give many of you uh, the impression of a world long since past, a romantic 
black and white world, uh, Mayberry, perhaps, a quaint, old-fashioned time and place far removed from our 21st century world. It harkens back, perhaps, to the generation of our grandparents or our great-grandparents. When a young man was taught what was appropriate of a young man, that he should respect his elders, that there was a certain way to speak to them and treat them, that he should not be overly casual and familiar with those older than him, and that he was taught that there was a way to treat ladies, that they too should be treated with dignity and respect and in purity. Now there's a word, purity, that Timothy uses here. You don't hear much nowadays. It's almost dropped out of the American vocabulary entirely, but here it is. I want to draw your attention this evening to a number of assumptions that are found in this brief passage, assumptions that lead us into the exhortations of the passage, but also move us beyond them into every area of life in very meaningful ways. There is tremendous practical wisdom here that Paul provides, wisdom that we would all do very well to heed, wisdom that I have come to believe in 47 or so years of my life is among the best, the most practical, the most helpful, the most important, and the most beneficial that we will find anywhere in the Bible. But the underlying assumptions are these. Men and women are not the same. Older people and younger people are different and in highly important ways. We must relate to one another in ways that are appropriate to our various roles and stations in life. There is a way to treat an older man. There is a way to treat an older woman. There's a way to treat a young lady. Do you think this is an important point to make? Do you think that our contemporaries are being told this? That even our contemporary Christians are being taught this? That even our contemporary Christians in our own denomination and Reformed churches are being taught this? I ask you tonight, beloved, because I can say with confidence that they are not. There are those Christians, perhaps young Christians particularly, who would never think to say what Paul says in these verses. And if they would never think to say it to themselves, they will never teach it to their children. Take Paul's admonition to Timothy to treat an older man differently than he would treat someone his own age. Do not harshly rebuke him but exhort him or appeal to him as a father. Notice the prodigious use of family relationships in the passage. Father, mother, brother, sister. And here he says, treat an older man differently than you would treat someone of your own age. Now in almost all of human history and in almost every human culture, this has been regarded as a sacred obligation that was rooted in the nature of things. 
that has been beyond question and self-evident. But alas, no longer so in the modern West. No longer in America. Nowadays, young people speak to older people almost no differently than the way they speak to their peers. As if the difference in age and station and maturity were of no consequence. I think it was the great William F. Buckley. Years ago, he regarded and remarked on this social change, a change he observed in his own lifetime. A young person trying to sell him something on the phone would ask, may I call you Bill? And Buckley would reply, no, you may not. His point was that this casual, uh, chatty chumminess is inappropriate. I've noticed that almost everywhere I go, uh, to the store, uh, through the drive-through, in an effort, I suppose, to be cool, uh, young men call me man. Hey, man. Sure, man. Some young men came to our door yesterday, uh, peddling a false gospel, incidentally, and said, Hey, cool t-shirt, man. The fact is that the manners that once governed exchanges between younger and older people, and still do in many cultures, they were meant to convey and instill a sense of obligation, of submission, of respect and recognition and appreciation. And more than that, they were a means of cultivating humility and responsibility in the young. When those manners disappear, eventually the inner states of the heart and convictions they were meant to express and preserve disappear along with them. The fact is, it is arrogant for a young person to treat an older person as a peer. And the fact that he or she doesn't even know that is what ought to be the most worrying. Leviticus 19.32, we find these words. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Notice the direct connection between reverencing the elderly and standing up before the gray head and the old man and the fear of God. The Bible presents an almost frightening realism. A group of young boys came out of the city and were mocking Elisha, the man of God, drawing attention incidentally to his bald head. And do you remember what happened to those boys? Forty-two of them were mauled by two female bears after Elisha, the man of God, pronounced a curse. They were torn to pieces. Children, obey your elders. And we know from the rest of Scripture, we know from our catechism, that the command to honor your father and your mother has to do with all relationships between inferiors and superiors, not just children and parents. 
And so this was as much an obligation in the first century when Paul was writing it to Timothy as it was in ancient Israel and remains an obligation still in our day. It's a divine command. Young people are to respect older people for their age, for their seniority, for their experience and station in life. And to fail to do so is pride and usually foolishness. The young person who calls a much older person by his or her first name as if they were pals is likely a young person with little regard for authority and little understanding of how little he or she is in comparison. And I know too, dear friend, that disrespect for teachers, for principals, for the police, is literally running rampant in society. And I know it's been that way for some time, but it's a sign of a decaying society when elders are not respected, even if they are not always right. Being married to a teacher, I can tell you that children who disrespect their parents, disrespect their grandparents, disrespect their teachers and their principals, this all constitutes perhaps the most fundamental and basic disruption and failure of the educational system. This is the problem of all problems. Not a lack of funding, not a bad curriculum. And I can tell you too that I have had to say to my own children more times than I could ever count that the manner of matter of honoring and obeying their parents and their elders and their superiors in relationships is directly tied in the word of God to their future and blessing and happiness. This is a fixed rule. It's like the law of gravity. You can't get around it. You can't get away from it. Honor your father and your mother, and it will go well with you. Disrespect and dishonor them and you have no chance of a happy life. There's no way out of it. Some of you think you're exempt, but you're not exempt. There's no exemption. Someone called humility uh, a bottom grace, and by that is meant that it is the virtue upon which all others depend. The social conventions that used to cultivate humility in the young are disappearing in our time. Perhaps the military is the only institution left that still understands that if you don't instill a sense of these relationships of order with respect and elaborate discipline, you will not retain that order or the respect it requires. It's a Wonderful Life is a favorite movie of mine. We try to watch it every Christmas time, much to the chagrin of the children. It portrays life, I know, a very long time ago, grandparents, great-grandparents' generation. You have little George Bailey when he's a child, chumming around with his friends, walking the sidewalks of the town. Then you have George and his little job, uh, in the drugstore with 
the druggist. Is it Mr. Gower? Not a particularly appealing man, a drunk, I think, who's about to poison one of his patients by putting a poison instead of a medication in one of the containers. Little George, you remember the scene, has to confront him and tell him about the mistake that he's making. The man is so distraught over sorrow in his life that he begins to beat little George. Terrible scene. But he respects him. He honors him. Even as he acts poorly, his elder. And you know what some will say to the sermon tonight? It's the heart that counts, not the outward actions. Really? Is that what Paul is saying to Timothy? Well, it's the heart that counts. It doesn't matter how you speak to others, how you treat the elderly, how you treat a young lady. Is that what he's saying? It's nonsense. It matters. It all matters. We have a heart, but we are not just a heart. We have a soul and a body too, and they work in tandem. You shall stand up before the gray head. Remember? Do you remember a time when we stood up when people entered the room, that we at least looked up and acknowledged their presence? The time when there was a smile and eye contact and a handshake, that these were the order of the day. There was a way to dress in public, to stand, to sit, to give one's seat to a lady or to the elderly. Anybody here old enough to remember any of that? <laughs> that doesn't mean you're too old, Janet. <laughs> now turning to the matter of men and women, it was once the case, dear friend, that certain manners governed men's interactions with women. They'd open the door for them. Uh, they'd stand up when they entered the room. They would guard their speech to a greater degree when women were present, and so on. And ladies, no man ever thought that you were incapable of opening your own door. It was meant to educate. It was meant to preserve something of what was proper in a relationship between men and women and a special obligation of men toward women. I hear young people in the park and on the campuses and in the neighborhood using coarse and vulgar language. And I hear the young boys doing it around the young girls without a thought. And I hear the young girls doing the same. Society has become coarse. Children have not been taught that there is a way to speak, to act, to behave around those older than you and around the opposite sex. The results are obvious and predictable. The coarsening of society, 
a worsening of relationships between boys and girls, men and women. And now we have a massive problem with sexual promiscuity. It's exacerbated, of course, by exposure to pornography in an increasingly young age. Boys in elementary school make lewd comments to little girls. And what are American boys being taught nowadays of the special obligation they have to treat women with particular reserve and greater respect? And what are American girls being taught about demanding such treatment from boys when they are men? How many women are attracted to men despite their being disrespectful and irresponsible because they've never been taught by their own fathers and mothers to expect better. And so Timothy is told here that his conduct with older women and younger women must be appropriate to the specific relationships. He's to treat the older women as he would his own mother, and he's to treat the younger women as he would a sister in all purity. There it is, young men and women. Sit up and listen. Purity. That's to be the defining mark of your relationship with the opposite sex. You young men, treat that young lady as a sister. Younger women, treat that young man as a brother. With all purity, underline it. Mark the words well. A young teenage girl in our neighborhood told me recently when her guy friend comes over, her parents require her to keep the bedroom door open, and she couldn't understand why. Really, I thought. You have good parents. You should be thankful for them. I want to tell you, children... I think all the sermons are important. This one sermon, you can't live without. Here are two verses you need. You need to love them, study them, digest them, put them into practice, heed the instructions well, treasure them. There'll be life and joy to you. You'll have teachers and professors and administrators Pastors and elders, you'll deal with law enforcement and government officials. There will be parents of girlfriends and parents of boyfriends. You'll have peers, cohorts, and that is all good, but you will have superiors. You will have those older than you, wiser than you, more experienced than you. They may not always be respectable, but treat them according to their station in life and yours. Mr. and Mrs., sir and ma'am, and young men, you will be around young women, young Christian women. That young lady is someone's daughter. She's your sister, your sister in Christ, a child of God, a daughter of God. There is a way to treat her right, Paul says, with complete Purity. Hands off till your wedding night. 
And we're not talking now only about your actions, your physical relationship, but your thoughts, your words, your gestures, and yes, your texts. What a world has been opened to us by the iPhone. It is a minefield to be sure. These are all wonderful opportunities for you. Wonderful relationships, but there is a way to speak and a way to act and a way to behave with all purity, the Bible says. And Paul knows the temptations and they were great. I doubt they had church secretaries back then, but we've all heard the terrible stories of the pastor and the church secretary. I know of a pastor, pastor of the Presbyterian Church in Lander for many years. He ran off with a church secretary. He left his wife, he abandoned his children, left the church, of course, was excommunicated, moved to another state. Decades later, I understand, he may have repented and come back to the Lord. But it happens. And it happens because the pastor does not protect the relationship. He doesn't guard his own soul and guard it against impurity. He gets interested. So does she. It goes too far. He's lost. But you've been given a wonderful framework here, have you not? A way of relating to everyone you will ever come into contact with. And it has fundamentally to do with honor and respect. You may think this is a small thing. It is not a small thing. Life is shaped by these interactions, countless interactions with your fellow human beings. And those all interactions and those relationships reflect the law of God and the nature of human life as God made it. And the more they do that, the happier and the holier and the more fruitful life will be. I've often told my own children, especially as they get closer to heading off to college, presumably, uh, there's something more important than grades, and there's something more important than where you go to college and what you get your major in, and it's how you treat people. Have a smile on your face. Look people in the eye. Give a firm handshake. Show respect. That will take you far in life. You may come to the point in society where it distinguishes you from everybody else. There is a way to be a young man. There is a way to be a young woman that pleases the Lord. Do these things, trusting in God, and you will know joy in your heart. Let's pray. Father, for some of us, uh, these words tonight may have brought out feelings of uh, regret for a failure, uh, a mistake, a sin. Uh, perhaps on one occasion, perhaps an entire season of life. We ask for your mercy. If we need to uh, confess and repent, by your kindness, lead us. 
Help us, O Lord, to hear this tonight, to love it, and to embrace it as a word from the living God teaching us how to live. Thank you for the older saints, the men, the women. May they be as a father, as a mother. Thank you for the younger saints. May they be as a brother and as a sister. And may we live together with all purity. Help us, O Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.